recorded in the darkest dungeons of the basement of death studio josh troy and ty present a show dedicated to bringing you the listener into the adventure right along with them pick up your sword or load your bolt gun but don't forget your helmet because it is time for some playing and slaying From the BOD studio, it is playing and slaying. Here with the guys for our 13th episode. Tonight's episode is going to be, I don't want to call it diminished. I don't want to call it reduced. But we are all within the throes of a hobby. Like It's concentrated. Yes. Yeah. It it's like concentrated. Yes. Yep. Yes. It's like frozen juice out of mm-hmm. the... You take it and you got to twist the can open and put it in and make some water in and stir it up good. That's what you got to do with this episode. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> stir it up with water, baby. So we're going to do an incredibly condensed um, hobby segment, really. We'll yep. talk about some progress we're making as, as the road to Adepticon gets closer and closer. At the time of recording, we are 13 days, oh my God, away from, um, from travel and... Hobby brushes down is probably twelve days away, <laughs> um, unless you'll hotel room paint like me. But we'll get Don't into do that. It. Don't do we'll it. We'll get into that. So we're going to do a super condensed uh, plan, hobby in buying slash kickstarting. Um, the the main point of tonight's episode is we have a, an awesome interview with um, our dear friend and a very talented uh, illustrator, graphic designer, artist, Elena Danner. She has done a number of board games. Um, a number of cards for different games. Um, most recently, a series of Magic the Gathering cards. And she has uh, done a ton of art and art direction for AEG's um, current Kickstarter uh, project called Edge of Darkness, which launched on Kickstarter on February 20th and runs for a couple weeks still. Um, so we, we sit down and talk with Elena. Uh, she was gracious enough to give us some of her time while she is furiously finishing <laughs> Um, different assignments and art. Uh, so so please enjoy the interview um, and the show. And without further ado, when you are playing and slaying, it's always important to stay hydrated. Tonight, our cocktail and beer menu has also been uh, concentrated, mm. yep. as I believe we are all midweek not drinking. I have a A&W root beer. I'm disappointed. I had a Diet Mountain Dew. Whew. I have the favorite of will conway <laughs> the zevia cola of course so we do apologize we'll be back episode 14 where we talk about adepticon and we promise that we will each have two drinks or two beers uh, on hand for that episode so we can double up our yep. our drinking we'll discussion it. it's a two drink minimum it had two episode. Drink minimum. <laughs> <laughs> episode 14 the two drink minimum <laughs> um all right so let's see playing I have been playing a lot of Age of Sigmar um, with my new army in the last last week. I've gotten in four games of Sigmar with my new list. Um, so kicking the tires on it, it helps to know that I'm going to play that list now so I can finish my painting. But other than Sigmar, whew, I haven't really played much. I played a game of Vengeance with Barry and Becky. Matt and Elena were in town. The that was a Kickstarter game. It's like a dice rolling. Um, you fight your way through these street gangs that have wronged you. So the game is kind of cool. It starts with this wrong wronging phase, where you do damage to yourself and pick up different handicaps. But that sets up who you need to seek vengeance against as you go through to to get points from killing bosses. So it was interesting. I think a little overproduced. You didn't need all these miniatures and all this stuff for it at its core a dice rolling game that's what what i heard about that one uh but it's it's cool the art's fun and it has that kind of 
uh, Kill Bill idea where you've been wronged and you're going back to to take down everybody mm-hmm. on the way. Cool. How about you, Josh? Have you been getting any plan in? Well, when uh, Matt and Elena were in town, um, Troy and Ty and I stopped over there and uh, we played uh, Zombicide Black Plague with the Green Horde expansion. Mm, that's right. And that was pretty fun. So it, it was interesting to um, to add that in. Um, you know, that I was interested to see how the trebuchet, they added that um, mechanic in and, and that model. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of added some rules and, you know, tweaked some things. And, uh, yeah, definitely definitely a fun expansion for, for Zombieside Black Plague. Yeah, it was good. Added a few things. Um, mm-hmm. I think we, we, we did pretty well. I think we, we had a little bit of touch and go right in the middle, but then yeah, we, we kind we of were, pushed through. And we then once very we got lucky. through that. All of our hordes yeah. were timed at the beginning of the spawn, so we didn't have a lot of other yeah. zombies out there. They came, you know, far enough apart. So mm-hmm. we never really faced a ton of adversity. We had one little rough spot, but we were able to, to power through it. So Yeah, overall I liked it. It was fun. Okay. I think I'd like to house rule the next time I play Green Horde, and when the horde releases, it doesn't end the spawn right. phase. I, yeah, I think you, I think we could tweak it a little bit so that because that we had a couple where it really we had really good luck and yeah and I think we I think you could house rule it so that it kind of evens itself out a little bit maybe yeah. you don't do it if it's in a room in a build I don't know we could figure it out but yeah I felt like that way it doesn't kind of make it too easy mm-hmm. yeah Troy how about you have you been getting any playing in um besides on beside i did play um what's that game x-wing you remember that game we used to play <laughs> like i think we all own well some of too us many, oh, too many too many models, models yeah. but uh neil from work put it together an x-wing uh, game after work so we did and we did play the only way we i play now is the um co-op uh co-op, oh, the narrative uh, narrative kind of ca- campaign. Yeah, campaign which is fun uh it's good because we get a lot of People who wouldn't normally play that kind of games, and especially if we play like in the open area at work, um, so you get a lot of people that walk by because everyone knows Star Wars, right? So everybody right. recognizes it and uh, gets there. So so it's fun. We got we got did another campaign, so we're actually starting to get more experience points and be able to soup things up and and take all this stuff. So that was fun. And then John and I did, and Ashton did a little a quick kind of space out play test um, last weekend just to. Use the our version of the new rules for hybrids and stuff that came out in the way tour from December. We took those and kind of tweaked them with the rules that we had already in place, and just made sure that they. In the end, it, I think mechanically they all end up about the same, but um, it was good. Yeah, just to get out and and that'll bring me right into the uh, <laughs> the Depticon road. Yeah. So one thing I, I would be remiss if I didn't report that I did play uh, two games of Yeti and my spaghetti. Excellent. That was Excellent. <laughs> that was a key okay. part of my gaming over the last couple. It is weeks. a fun game. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's always fun. Um, but the road to Adepticon. Adepticon is incredibly nigh. Is that? A, can I say that like that? Incredibly nigh. It sounds right, but when I think about it, I have actually no idea what it means. Like close, like impending. Is that what nigh means? Nigh. I think. We'll look it up. We'll test. All right. Either way, we are very close to Adepticon. Some of us are in great hobby shape, Josh. Some of us are in very bad hobby shape, Ty. And some of us are right in the middle, Troy. So do we want to start with the good, the bad, or the ugly? Um, <laughs> Who, who's which in this in this scenario? Well, Josh, you're the good. I think Josh is the good. So let's, Josh, yeah, let's, let's start, start with Josh. The good. Yeah. All right. So I started um, painting Stormcast a, a while ago, um, and it really it was just because I bought the starter box a couple times because I was actually going for Bloodbound and realized I didn't want to play Bloodbound. So uh, I started painting Stormcast just as a I was side. I where this was going. Yeah. I, I have Stormcast because I wanted to play Bloodbound. Well, I bought the starter box, you know, oh, with okay. the Stormcast. Right. So I ended up buying a random other stuff as well and um, started painting that up a while ago and just kind of, it was a slow hobby progress, you know, a couple models here, a couple models there, whatever. Um, I have a force now and um uh, so yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll play those. You know, uh, uh, Paul DK uh, said, hey, I need a team tournament partner. I'm playing Stormcast, and I said, hey, I have Stormcast, and so yeah, here we are. Um, 
So yeah, uh, I have a few little things to tweak and finish up and... Um, I, feel, I feel like Josh told me the other night, yeah, I got like a shield or two and maybe like a banner, my basic guy, but I'm pretty good. Yep. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I Just a like, few touch-ups. You suck. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> and then meanwhile, Ty is chasing the meta and uh, going all out, trying to finish a brand new army. Yeah. Third army. And we'll go. So we'll go from one end of the spectrum to the mm. other. And I'll I'll provide my road to a depth count update. Then we'll we'll let you bring it home. Um, so the ugly, my army, the legions of Nagash book dropped. I don't know two weeks two, ago, two Maybe, three weeks right? ago, and I decided to change my entire plan again. So I'm on <laughs> army three of the last two or three months. Um, I have a lot to get done. I have. 20 skeletons that are just primed and based that need full paint. I need 10 that need all the details, their bone, like the, the skeleton pieces done and the basing. Then I have 30 grave guard where I've painted their boots and their like legs, like the bottom robes, um, and washed those and highlighted dry brush. So now I just have their torsos and bases. That's 30 models. So I have 60 models that have some amount of paint or no paint. My mortise engine is almost done. Arkin is almost done. I have five black knights done. I have 25 skeletons, 30 skeletons done. And two necromancers that are like half done and a white king that isn't done. So I'm at about 50%. If I count like partial models, I'm probably halfway done. You got a weekend, a weekend of painting ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, so Friday I have permission from my wonderful girlfriend to lock myself away. I get home from work Friday night. I'm going to eat dinner. I'm going to bring probably a bottle of Tito's and like a four-pack of Red Bull down to the basement. <laughs> and I'm going to hobby until I can't anymore. It's going to be like a 7 o'clock to 4 a.m. See what I can just crank through. Saturday, going to go over to Paul's place, hobby for a few hours. Saturday night, I'm going to hobby again. So I'll see what I can do in like 48 hours of hobby progress. Nice. Yeah, it's this is as bad as it's ever been for me. Chasing the last two years, I've been done close to Adepticon, but this is where I'm like, oh my God, it's a big army. It's It's a lot of detail work. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm not doing quick and dirty. I'm doing a number of details and mm-hmm. layers and washes and texture it's just and they're looking good too they're looking good display Man, board not, not even there yet it's going to be a two by two piece of plywood <laughs> with brown paint and like some sand and texture <laughs> and then maybe i'll take a terrain piece you should outsource your display board to josh who's already done with Man. all his other stuff i know he's got a lot of hertz art stuff that he could probably like glue onto a board and paint up <laughs> Yeah, I have yeah. to do my own display board. Well, do two then. It's easy. It's two. Yeah, it's not as much Done. effort. Yeah, you get bulk. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's um. So I don't. I don't know. It's it's grim. Uh, I should really just get my thousand points done first. Like that should be my primary focus, so that I can play in the team tournament with Tom on Friday. Worst case scenario, I can hotel room paint Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before the grand tournament saturday <laughs> so i mean i have i have a three-day cushion where i can yep. well yeah and you can you know what in a depth game you don't even need to paint in your hotel room just go down to like the the hobby yeah. hangout area yeah and talk sit to next people to james and, wapple and yeah and have, drink, have some drinks and pro make me feel yeah. bad all right, so Troy, you're in better shape than me. Not as good a shape as Josh. What's your road to adapt to kind of hobby progress? Maybe. All right. Uh, I think Space Hulk all terrain is got some kind of paint on it. I do have to paint up whatever the big giant. I do want. I want. I don't know. Have to. I do want to paint up the two big whatever the big giant plasma engine things are. I planted for the little plasma regulator things, but the big giant things that have the Mexico on them. I have two of those. I want to put some paint on, um, and maybe some wash and some stuff. So I think I have all the terrain for the table. At least, again, you could always do more work on everything, and so it's always a matter of cutting that to what I can get done. Um, 
probably not. I might go back and just, I need to go back and just touch up squads that from kind of normal wear and tear. Um, we already did some repair on that when we did that. So I think Space Hulk would be pretty good. The trick is I also need to get my 40k, uh, 100 power level. Uh, and so what I'm doing there is to get double bang for my buck. It's, guess what? I'm playing Gene Sealer Cult. Um, so I have luckily all the hybrids painted and my Broodlord, the Patriarch model, um, and the, and the uh, Magus there. So I'm using those from Space Hulk. So I got the most of the troops done. I do have to paint two Lehman Rust tanks that luckily I outsourced assembly. John built them or had them already built. I'm just going to repaint them. And then uh, three uh, Sentinel walkers, Scout Sentinels. Again, John had them and I like to thank him because he's like, do you want me to just go ahead and assemble these? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and he assembled and magnetized them. Nice. And or, so again, that was going to be a I, lifesaver. So I'd just like to point out that your brother has helped you get your army ready. Um, Tom. Tom, I know you, you may not listen, but if you do, on the off chance you do, Troy's brother has helped him get his army ready. Just, just throwing that out there. So I, so I have to... So that's five vehicles to paint, maybe one or two... Um, and just troop guys to kind of fill in, but with weapons, certain special weapons. Total, like that. total surface area, we might be about even but on yeah. what we have left to paint. But, but you can just I can airbrush like airbrush and, and wash, yeah. and I think I'll be pretty pretty close. Um, <laughs> the only thing I got to be careful of is I, I want to like do some. I keep like making up these new hobby projects, so I want to like you know the little tiered icons, and I have some, but I want more. And now that I've casted stuff, I'm like, oh, that would be kind of cool. I could make a little mold and do a whole bunch of those, and then I could stick them all over. And how cool would that look? And I'm like, yeah, but that's a half day project probably <laughs> <laughs> to get what to make some again. But that's the whole thing with this hobby, right? Making it look cool is yeah. like that. So I have to figure out if I'm going to invest in in doing a little bit of that and to the, get this make, could be the Adepticon that breaks us. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm I feel like I might crawl into Adepticon. And then my worry is I still, I know I'm worried that I kind of promised Will I would have my own painted Ethereum army, but I don't know faction, but I don't know that that's going to happen. That's kind of low on my Oof. list. Yeah. And he did say, right? Didn't he, didn't he stress that they're going to have painted, have painted, painted stuff, stuff there, there for, for me to paint, yeah. play? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah. That's, we'll have to see what. I feel, I feel like the road to Adepticon is turning into like one of those war movies that, <laughs> all of your favorite characters start dying and all this terrible stuff is happening. And it's not about like the victory. It's not about the glory. The, the whole point of it is just to show you the suffering of war. And that's kind of what we're going through right now. Only it's hobby. Yeah. And it's And of course work, I've had uh, a terrible project that worked the last couple of weeks, which just yeah. always piles on when you wish you could have more hobby time. And it's, yeah, and it's less. But I, I love to take a few sick days, and I can't afford to because you know <sighs> work gets in the way. Yeah. So, all right, we'll let you know if we make it uh, when we record our episode after <laughs> Dr. Khan. <laughs> um, we're gonna take a real quick break here. Uh, we're gonna skip over Kickstarter. We talk a lot about it with Elena. The Edge of Darkness is really the only thing we're following on Kickstarter at the moment. A um, few things that are being fulfilled and shipped that we'll talk about on the next episode. But take a quick break. When we get back, we'll be um, on air with Elena, Elena Danner. Good evening, Elena. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, really glad we could get this set up and, and get you on with us. Um, so without further ado, we will dive into our feature interview with Magic the Gathering, board game, book cover, illustrator, amazing digital artist, Elena Danner. So welcome to the show, Elena. Hi. So I guess, you know, we'll, we'll start where we always start with the origin story. What, um, really, how old were you when you knew you were going to be an artist? And what, what did that look like where you first went into art and then decided... I'm I'm going to do this for a living. Can you kind of talk us through your uh, your origin story? Uh yeah, so my origin story I guess is when I was a kid I was really into X-Men 
uh, the cartoon show first and then into the comic books. And when I used to go to the local comic book stores, probably like, and they had these X-Men trading cards, which were <laughs> like one card was one mutant and had each one had like a unique painting. And these were like 94, 95. And that was before they went to digital painting. And I remember looking through the cards and I spent like all my money on these cards, buying these packs. And my favorite artist was somebody named Julie Bell. And she always did like the coolest like women paintings of the different mutants. Like she had a really cool rogue and a storm and Psylocke. Like she was just my favorite. And I just remember looking at those and being like, man, I want to do that someday. I want to be like Julie Bell. And yeah, so ever since then, I was really into to drawing. And when I was in high school, I just kept drawing and decided I wanted to go to art school, much to my parents' dismay. So. <laughs> well, we're, we're certainly glad yeah. you, you did. <laughs> um, so what, what was your favorite card? If you had to pick one of Julie Bell's pieces, what, what would that be? Uh, I think... Let me make sure I have it here. Yeah, she did this really cool painting of Storm that mm. was like my f- absolute favorite card because Storm was always one of my favorite characters. And she's like flying through the sky and has lightning striking her hands and she looks incredibly badass. So, very cool. Yeah. That's really awesome. Bell rules. <laughs> That's excellent. Um, as far as other than Julie Bell, any other artists, you know, as, as you came into the industry and really started doing more that you, you've kind of emulated or draw inspiration from uh, as, as you're working on things? Uh, well, there's a lot of really, obviously really amazing artists out there. And what's been crazy is meeting them and becoming friends with some of them. Like here in Seattle, we have a ton of crazy amazing illustrators that live here like tyler jacobson who did uh the cover for fifth ed darken lives here and he's one of my favorite artists and i just remember looking at darken stuff in college and just being totally amazed and cynthia shepherd lives here too so it's been moving to seattle has been really cool because there's so many fantastic artists that are super inspirational that's great. Yeah, it's uh, it's a. Uh, it sounds like a really great community. A lot of presence in the gaming industry in general with Wizards. So, Elaine, I have a question. You kind of talked about going to art school. Would, did did you get a lot? I mean, did art school really really help you as a basis, or did you did do a lot of stuff outside that? And like you talked about comic books and other artists and things like that. Um, so, what was was it like a mix? Did did art school kind of give you the the base skills, or was it kind of just I need to get an art degree so I can kind of keep doing stuff? Uh, it's, it's interesting because my first year of college, I went to a college in the Twin Cities and I hated it and it was very fine artsy and fine art versus graphic art. They're like two different schools of thought in art. Like fine arts are like when you go to a gallery and there's like weird stuff (laughs) on the wall, you know, like blobs or things like like (laughs) stuff that's just kind of bizarre where it's more of a feelings whereas graphic art is stuff you do for clients so my first school was all fine art and I hated it um so I quit and then I went to Mayan in Milwaukee and there is all graphic art so I like that a lot more and but it still is all about what you put into it because most kids who go even to Mayan don't end up doing art for a living because it's really hard you really have to keep working and you have to be able to take critique and let you know evolve and progress and a lot of people don't like hearing about their flaws and art school is just really good for having that time to hone your craft because it's not really about they can't really teach you a whole lot other than the fundamentals it's what you put into it and a lot of kids don't put anything into it so they don't really progress so it's more of like having four years of just kicking yourself in the ass and just getting better and better and i don't really think having a 
going to, you know, having a degree in art or going to art school is necessary at all for artists. Um, and a lot of artists out there don't have art degrees. It's just all about how much you put into it yourself. So while my ad was really good for me, it's more because, yeah, I worked my ass off that entire time. And an example is like, I draw all the time and the other kids who are now illustrators, they used to draw all the time too. So we'd come back from summer break and I'd be like, so what'd you guys draw this summer? And like most kids would be like, it was summer. Why would I draw? <laughs> Which is meanwhile, you totally had a, a whole new portfolio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and like some of the kids I graduated with, they, they might not have even updated their portfolio since graduating. And like, we graduated 10 years ago. I try to have like all new stuff, you know, every two years or every year. So you got to keep, keep working. So it's really, it's not about, sorry, it's a really long answer. It's not really about <laughs> art school. It's just about the individual, like how much they can grind and work through it. You got that hustle. You got a hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So was it, was it at my ad where you really started with the, the digital piece of your art? Um, Cause uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but everything you do is digital, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And w was that when you were in school or even beforehand where you were kind of drawn to that, that medium and, and what was it about digital art that really drew you in versus other mediums? Uh, well, so when I was in high school, um, I used to do all colored pencils and acrylics and I used to do just a lot of anime and video game fan art when I was a kid. And that's when tablets and Photoshop were really new. So when I graduated from high school, that was my graduation gift as my mom got me a tablet. And so I did like a bunch of anime kind of fan art in PaintShop Pro before even using Photoshop. Um, but when I went to my ad, they wouldn't even let anybody touch anything digital until junior year. So the first year that I was there, I had to do all traditional media but the real awesome thing about digital art is that you don't have to wait for paint to dry and you can obviously undo as many times as you want. So that makes it a heck of a lot easier to get stuff done quickly. And when you're just starting out as an illustrator, that's how you have to work. You can't, clients like Asmodee and stuff, they won't let you take six months to complete a piece for them. You know, you have like a month. So... <laughs> And when you're just getting started, you have to be working some other jobs. So it's going to be all stuff that you do after work anyways. So digital art is more of a necessity, I think, these days, unless you're already an established artist or unless you're freaking amazing and super fast at it. Cool. So now is when we're going to, Josh and I are going to hit you up with some of the technical questions. So you talked a little bit about <laughs> Photoshop and... Uh, and other things, but you use um, a, a pen and a pad, right, to actually do the the drawing. Can you talk about like your equipment, your your setup? Oh yeah, so I have uh, a Wacom Intuos Four. Yeah, this is an Intuos Four that I use on my tower computer, um, and I also have a Wacom Companion, which is it's a Cintiq. Sorry, a Wacom Cintiq is one of those drawing screens where you have a pen and you can draw right on the screen. Um, and it's that, but also with the computer attached. And so I take that thing everywhere. And that's what most artists use is some sort of a Cintiq. So I'm kind of old school with my computer tower where I just have an Intuos where it's not a screen, it's just this pad that I draw on. But And a lot of people have a hard time making that transition to... You're drawing and then looking at a monitor. You're not looking at down at your what you're actually drawing on. So I think that's just because that's, again, that's what I got when I graduated from high school. So I've been used to it ever since. A lot of people nowadays only use a Cintiq. Do you, do you have a hard time switching back and forth? No, not at all. It's That's awesome. It, it's totally second nature. It's, it's not, I, like I don't even notice it anymore and sometimes it's nice because um oddly enough i'm so i'm left-handed and something you may or may not have ever noticed is when you're scrolling on a web page the scroll bar is all the way on the right hand side and sometimes 
like when you're drawing and you're moving stuff around, you're if I'm left-handed too. Sorry, that's part of this. So I'm left-handed. If I'm looking at the screen and I'm scrolling on the scroll bar, my hand will actually cover up the screen where I'm trying to see because the scroll bar is all the way on the right-hand side. So my left hand covers it up. So when I'm using an Intuos without a screen or my hand is not covering up the actual screen, it's I can see better. So sometimes it's better to work on not a screen, on not a Cintiq. So it's pretty bizarre. <laughs> That's crazy. The right-handed world we live in. Yeah, I, I'm left-handed too, so I know I know how that yeah, is. We've got three lefties here. I think Josh is the only the only non-lefty. So, I, truth. I remember whenever I had to do anything with pencil, colored pencil, art art was always an experience for me. And smudging the paper as I worked mm. across it, being left-handed, I had this weird way of dragging my hand across everything I did. Yeah, yeah, and I still do that with a pen. If I'm like writing a card or something, a pen, I smear the entire thing. So, yeah. Cool. So again, I'll keep it quick. So when you're in Photoshop, your so your pictures, like especially your landscapes, are amazingly detailed. What resolution are like the raw pictures in? And are you are you like you know drawing it like zoomed in and to do a little tiny detail or what you know what resolution do you kind of work in? Yeah, so I usually try, now that I have a more powerful computer, I try to work with my, um, like, the biggest dimension to be, like, 10,000 pixels wide or tall, and then the other dimension, like, usually 7,000, so pretty large. That's bananas. <laughs> and I try to zoom in a lot, because that's, that's one thing I really learned, um, while progressing and trying to get better as an artist is that you really can't have too much detail on the important parts of your pieces. So zooming in on things is really, really important. So even on really big pictures are like 10,000 pixels wide, I'll still like work at a hundred percent in Photoshop and try to get all the details in there. That's crazy. Wow. Well, it's it's important for printing because I always want to sell like prints at conventions and stuff. So yeah. if you print something and like my printer prints up to 13 by 19, but now I'm actually going to look into getting posters printed. And you don't want people to like look closely at their picture and be like, oh, this is fuzzy. What the hell? <laughs> you know, like yeah. you want someone to be able to look at it and be like, oh, look, you can see stuff I didn't even notice before, like every time. So you got to. Yeah, just keep adding more detail. That's so cool. That's really cool. So if I do my math right, so that would be if people think about a camera, you know, it takes like a three um, three megapixel. I think what you're working in is like a would be like a seventy millipixel image that you'd get from you know, so like like whatever there would be, like seven to ten times more than most cameras are doing right now. If I'm doing my math right, which is, but I think that's pretty close. That's funny. To get there. I did not think of that. But yeah, because like when you print, you want to print at 300 DPI. This is getting, really getting to the deep end here, um, which is dots per inch. So that makes, so normally if you draw like, like a magic card, like the file that I send into wizards for DPI, it's like that 300 DPI is only like two and a half inches by like, three and a half inches or something like that. So it's teeny tiny. If you wanted to blow up just that, it would look awful. So you got to start way bigger and add a lot more detail if you want to make anything look good for print. All right, more Photoshop questions. So how many, <laughs> how many, how many layers do you end up on one of your final, oh, final no. drawings? <laughs> um, I'm really bad about layers, and other artists um, have given me a lot of shit for it because um, sometimes I'll end up like like 400 or 500 layers on an image. Wow, that's awesome! <laughs> it's it's bad. I should like a lot of other people will you know merge layers as they go along and like you know are responsible with their files, and I just. I'm not. I just keep adding more and more. It's like navigating my final files has got to be, it's a disaster, but yeah. it works for me. <laughs> and again, for people who aren't like, what for Ty, 
right? So Photoshop, so layers, basically the, the end picture is you basically it's a layer. So think about each piece of the picture is like on a clear, clear film and they all get laid on top of each other and make the final oh, thing. So, 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 so it's like, it's like, like five, when you're painting. So yeah. there's like 500. Right different small images that all make up the one big image so it's like when you paint base coat and then you put a layer on top and then you put a wash on top yeah Yeah, there's 500 of those that's crazy yeah that's nuts wow that's crazy um all right troy any any other technical questions or should we keep keep chugging i'm good for now good for now (laughs) so we we might come back a little bit we might dive back into the technology space Um, so one thing i kind of wanted to talk about is you've uh recently have been doing a lot of individual cards for magic um and throughout you've done covers and individual pieces but you also have been doing entire board games so um you know, I think of Temporum, I think of Elfin Roads, I think of right now all of the work you're doing um, for Edge of Darkness, AEG's game that is currently on Kickstarter. What are some of those differences in your approach to art for a large project and tying everything together to tell that story of an entire game versus when you're working on, you know, an individual card for um, for Magic the Gathering? How How do those two kind of projects differ in your approach oh gotcha so when i worked for rio and now i'm working for aeg like they come to me and they're like we have this game we have a prototype we have no graphics whatsoever you need to make it look cool so then i get to take it and be like all right what would be cool for this you know how how can i approach this where i get to really build up a world in themes with these games and then also express that through like the graphic design and logos and stuff and doing stuff like magic is the complete opposite of that they come to me with um they go they come to artists with world guides that are like several hundred pages long normally they're like three to four hundred pages long for each plane because they know exactly what they want you to draw <laughs> so like my very first card was supreme will um, which is an Amonkhet. And so my first art description was like, you need to draw this scarab god from, you know, page whatever, section B. You know, he's holding this specific s- staff from this page, and he's in this specific environment. You know, make it look exactly like this. So they're <laughs> total opposites. So they're, they're and, giving you that whole picture, that frame to, to operate within. And you're getting to do a lot of the world building and uh, really the design aesthetic of those board games. So do you collaborate with the designers on that? Like when they they have that game and they have how it functions in itself as game and the mechanics and their idea of theme. Is there some collaboration or do you do a lot of that just that world building really on, on your own as the artist? Um, usually it's mostly me. Um yeah, like when I've worked with uh, Donald Vaccarino and Temporum, he was he kind of let me do whatever I wanted to do um, as long as I made it realistic on the cards. Like Temporum is a time traveling game, and so he wanted to be very you know like I want ancient Egypt to look like ancient Egypt and stuff like that. Like don't make it look cartoony. Whereas I did a game called Alan's Adventureland, and I worked pretty close with that designer. Um, he wanted, he had more input on what he wanted the card layout to look like and what the boards looked like, but generally, I've also been doing, like, figuring out how things should look laid out. Like, that Temporum has a board with it, and I spent, like, a good day or two trying to visualize how the board could look and how how like scoring could look on it and how the tracks are going to work and how like have the illustration blend in with the board itself. And I got to do that with edge of darkness too, where I kind of had more control, like making it look how I wanted it to look. And kind of, I got to kind of tell that to the designer and get his okay on it. Cause I, there's, there's always some pushback, but it's been pretty. I've been pretty lucky so far, being able to have it my way. Now, <clears throat> do you like it uh, better when 
you know, you you, ha- you can kind of craft uh, what you want to do um, in in like a edge of darkness type scenario, or is it is it kind of nice to have um, constraints? Uh, yeah, like constraints. Yeah, like so you're not kind of recreating the wheel, so to speak. Um, you know, with like a magic card where you know they kind of tell you essentially what what they want you to draw. Do you like which? What do you like better? Uh, I like them both. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have like I really like working for Magic. I love I love when someone's just like do this, make it so like that's that's nice and like not as daunting as we have this game. We don't know what it should look like and we don't know how the boards are going to work, but you should figure that out. Here's this blank canvas. <laughs> Yeah, but that's really fun too. Um, like it's fun to figure that out and to kind of be like, okay, how is how is this best with the components, and how can I make this work, and what size is good for tables and stuff like that, um, and where and to like make sure like people aren't going to accidentally knock over meeples <laughs> trying to actually do things. Like, so it's it, that's been an interesting kind of thing to figure out while doing these board games is trying to figure out how people will like to navigate the game plus make it look good plus have it kind of have its own world if that makes any sense yeah mm-hmm. that's cool so uh, i'll ask a technical question again and i don't know if there is was, was there any i don't know i guess learning experiences or surprises you ran into when you actually had to like for like all the board game components make it you know in the right format for it to be produ- produced and manufactured in terms of I don't know. I don't know if there was anything that surprised you, but you know how you have to lay out a box cover or something else like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've worked with a couple different printers from around the globe, actually, and it's it's been a learning experience. One thing that totally got screwed up and sucked was for the first Temporum, that was my first board game ever. Um, there's chits, like little, like a cardboard punch outs, uh, for coins and stuff. And so I designed those and I figured out, you know, like when you, when you design those, like if you make a coin, um, when you send that file to the printer, the printer that cuts those, um, it has like wiggle room. Like if you've probably gotten components before out of games where like, things are pretty close to being miscut like the entire sheet is off and that's just like every printer you know has this wiggle room so you need to make sure that a coin like if you draw a coin that it has like a halo around it so if it, if the printer prints a little too far to the left or right or up or down that when it cuts and you punch it out it's you don't only have half a coin and half <laughs> like of the background behind it so with temporum like, I figured out how to do that and how to, like, export the actual file that dictates to the printer where to cut. But I didn't even think of this. I didn't export a backside. <laughs> I just, like, the file could be flipped. So if you, like, if you print something out of your printer and then take that sheet of paper and put it in upside down and then print on it again, like, you could do that with these coins and those those die cuts where the printer is or where the printer is cutting, they would still line up. But because I didn't give the printer that file, they just didn't do it. So the backside of these chits is blank for the first set of time. <laughs> so, Which was such a bummer and I didn't realize that until I bought a copy off the shelf and opened it. And I was just like, oh my God. This is so, terrible. So I think we just have to call those like collector's editions, that first print run of <laughs> right. Temporum, where you can find your lucky one-sided coins. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that has not happened again. Ever since that happened, I was just like, oh my god, this is this is so terrible. Like, I wish they had messaged me or been like, hey, just, you know, send us a flip version. And I totally would have, but had no idea. So now that's something I will never forget going forward <laughs> <laughs> so one one thing i want to kind of get your your take on is working for um doing cards for magic the gathering that when we think of um artists in the in the world of gaming board gaming card gaming that's really kind of i mean that's the the pinnacle of of game art 
for at least for us the uh the gamers out there what yeah what is the experience on the the artist side what you know it it introduces you i'm sure to a much larger range of people to to see your art but what what else does that mean to you as an artist and um how has it been producing cards for magic like seeing your work out there being played because there's some pretty uh pretty good cards too Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty crazy um actually this was pretty pretty nuts yesterday morning i took my cat to the vet and before i left i was dropping him off one of the vet techs was like hey elena i'm really sorry uh can you sign some cards for me (laughs) 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 i was like of course i never thought the you know i I don't obviously don't go to the vet and be like i draw magic cards i have no idea how they do but that was pretty crazy um but doing magic is is awesome. I'm really excited that I've done some cards for them, and hopefully they keep hiring me. Um, getting in is is really hard, and that's and that's been quite a journey. Because um, you guys have have known me for a while. Um, that's the one thing I learned. That's the one huge thing I took away from Hyatt is my senior year, um, John Matson was doing like a guest teacher spot for one illustration. Basically I was an illustration major. So they would bring in illustrators in the field and they would give us assignments based on like what they do. And so he was a fantasy artist and he came in and I went up to him and I was like, how the hell do I get into this industry? Like, this is what I, this is what I want to do. And he gave me just the most important advice that I got for the whole four years of art school. And he said, Print out your portfolio and take it to Gen Con. Gen Con is this crazy convention in Indianapolis every year. And every game company is there. And they'll hire you if they like you. Or they'll give you feedback for next year if if they don't. And that's where Wizards of of the Coast goes every year to find new artists. So I graduated from art school in 2008. And I started going every single year after that with my portfolio to try to see a Wizards art director. And they would destroy me every single year rightfully so because my shit is awful but they're totally honest and they'll you know they let you know what they see and what you need to improve upon and yeah it only took like eight years but i finally (laughs) (laughs) very cool um I think we also, we may have a couple of questions from some of our listeners uh I know Troy gathered some from out there. So I'm going to hand it off to Troy for some listener questions. All right. And this may be a listener question. I, I cultivated these from our, our listener base. So these are from Mandy. Um, Cause she had some questions for you, Lena. Uh, okay. So who's your favorite artist? It doesn't have to be like a fantasy artist, but who's your favorite artist? My favorite artist. Oh my God. On the spot here. It, it is yeah, okay fine. to say yourself. Right. I mean, yeah. No. <laughs> no way. Um, my favorite artist. I guess I could say Julie Bell because not only did she totally inspire me as a kid, I emailed her my senior year at, at my ad and I just said to her, like, I just wrote this probably very pathetic now sounding email where I was just like, I've always loved your work. And you've totally inspired me to go into art. And thank you so much for, you know, this inspiration that you've been to me. And she wrote me back and was super awesome. So she's she's an amazing person. And I think that she's, yeah, she's just been a great inspiration. Cool. All right. Question number two. Since you have so much crazy detail in her work, as she, as Mandy says here, uh, how long does it take, typically take you to do one of your pieces? And maybe one of your magic pieces would be a good example. Um, well, it really depends on what the image is of, but something like a crazy cityscape could take anywhere to like 100 hours, 120 hours to do one piece. But, you know, some smaller pieces like the supreme will or they had me draw this um bloody axe like that doesn't take as long those are probably like 30 to 40 hours 
your landscapes. I, I, I see your landscapes and I still always find a new piece of detail every time. Yeah, that I, I, I love <laughs> looking at them to, to find something. I'm like, oh, there's a dragon. I didn't know how no. many dragons are in this piece. Where <laughs> yeah. are they all? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have Easter eggs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's seven, by the way. <laughs> and uh, so her last question here are, well, kind of an A and B. Uh, where do you draw your inspiration from? And kind of the second part of that, and I think Mandy's looking for uh, tips here, is what do you do if you do you ever get stuck or do you ever have a creative block and have to work through it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So inspiration, like if I have nothing to work on, which would be awesome. Um, <laughs> I really like to uh, go to mythology. Just any sort of mythology has always is always really fun for me to kind of dig into whether it's like Greek or Roman or Japanese, or even when we were in Matt and I visited Hawaii and they have really cool, um, gods and goddesses in their mythology over there. So I don't know why, but those are always really inspiring to me. So that, and just, you know, your regular fantasy books, name of the wind and stuff. And, uh, if I ever get have artist block, um, I just make myself keep working. <laughs> Push through it. Yeah, just keep. keep working. If I if like if I'm in a rut or something, um, I always have kind of other stuff I need to do. So, like right now, so I just finished a cover for Green Ronin and a couple of magic cards, and I'm close to being done in Edge of Darkness, and I didn't really feel like working on edge of darkness today. So I have a magic GP coming up um, and I need to figure out all the stuff I need to print for that. So I spent a lot of the day looking online at printers and getting all my files together. So yeah, if it's not specifically drawing, it's getting stuff together for events. Kind of the business side of things. If, if the art's not coming along real easily can work on the, the business. Okay. And now I'm behind on arts. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's why you'll stay up late, I'm sure, and, and catch up. And um, Edge of Darkness is something I do want to talk about. So that that game is the uh, they're calling it a card crafting worker placement game. I think there might be some aspects of area control. So it's it's got a lot of complicated mechanics. But what I'm what I'm kind of interested in is the card crafting piece of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about your art having four to 500 layers. Now these cards kind of stack and have to work in a way that there's la- like, <laughs> does the art stack within the cards or how is it mainly, how, how did that look and how, how did that impact the design process, that card crafting mechanic? That's something that, um, we had talked about in the very, very beginning. And unfortunately, because, if you have you guys if you guys have played Mystic Bale, um, the way card crafting works is like there are these tarot sized cards, but each card only has is printed on a third of it, so top, middle, or bottom. And in Edge of Darkness, your starter cards are always take up the top slot, and then when you buy other cards and sleeve them, they're in the second or third slot. So unfortunately, because each each of those other cards that takes up the second or third slot, they have to either, or they take up both. So half the cards will take up the second slot and half the cards will take up the third slot. So unfortunately, all the cards need to work together so the art can't um, overlap between the cards, if that makes okay. any sense. Um, they have to be all independent, unfortunately. Plus, on the backside, there's monsters. So... Because that, of the way the game is, they have to... That's right, because if you draw enough threat, a monster comes out of the, the demon world and invades, or there's yep. a, a weird threat mechanic. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to check this game out, give it a, a spin sometime. So um, I know it's in the Kickstarter now, and not everything has been revealed, but we've seen a lot of the... Um, are the correct me if I'm wrong, the bases, in essence, they're like the locations. Now, you did... How, how many pieces of locations did you do for Edge of Darkness? Because those are your landscapes, which are some of our favorites mm-hmm. when we look at, you know, your buildings and, and kind of 
how many are a part of Edge of Darkness because I think people don't understand the the span of this game. It seems like a huge footprint, just a ton of art, lots of cards, boards, minis. Yeah, it's a huge game. Um, so there's 49 locations that I've <laughs> done or that I have to complete. I'm on number 40. Oh God, 45 right now. Yeah. Wow. So I still have a couple left. They've only shown, I think, let me see here. I think they've shown like 28 of them. Okay. Right? Crazy. So they haven't shown a lot of them. It's like, and like half of them they I'm haven't not, shown. That's crazy. Well, I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about this, but there's an expansion <laughs> that's going to be included. So they haven't even shown that yet. So there's, That's what I've been working on. There's all sorts of exciting things. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. That we need to get people to back this game so that we can see it, right? Stretch right. goals. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was hoping that they would show everything up front, kind of like cool mini or not, but I have, I have absolutely no say in how they roll out. <laughs> so I'm just as surprised as anybody else when they post something new. So there's still a lot more to show. And because the um, the big hurdle with this game is if you actually lay it out it's massive and that's because the very core component of this game are these tarot sized cards so there which is a lot bigger than like a magic card or you know any other card really and because there's 10 locations in each game it's kind of like dominion where you pick 10 the beginning and that dictates how your you know what cards go into your game and each location is tied to um, a hero and a threat which is the actual cards. So the cards live on top of the location boards. The location boards have to be obviously bigger than the tarot card, and you need to have 10 of them. Plus, <laughs> you have the drafting center board, and those have that is six of those tarot cards on there, too. So everything is just massive. <laughs> so it's good for me because I get to draw more. So. Yeah, and, and you also, for Edge of Darkness, unlike some of the, the other projects, you, you got to bring in some other artists, right? You really were, were yeah. doing the, the role of art director for this project. Um, right. So you got to be on that side of things. What, what were some of the things you looked for from the artists? Do you have like a, a group of people that you went to right away, or how, how did that process kind of work to put together your team? Yeah, so I emailed a lot of my favorite artists and friends and I only heard back from like a fifth of them. And so I had to do more digging for more people that I wanted. So it's harder than I thought it was going to be. A lot of people are busy, which is great. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Artists being busy is wonderful, but I was able to find, I kind of cherry picked from, I went to some fantasy flight games with art that I really liked, like the game of Thrones. Um, like living card game and stuff. Like I looked through that art and I found some really stellar artists that way. And it was, it's been a fun process. It's been a challenge. So on top of doing the locations, each location has a hero and a threat that go on them. So I didn't, I knew I wouldn't have the time to do all of it. So I've only did the locations and I hired out all of the, heroes and the threats so all the monsters and all the heroes other than the starter cards to other artists so probably like 100 pieces of art and i got about oh. 15 artists oh wow to do it so yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty fun it looks like a really cool project it, it has a couple of weeks left on kickstarter um so definitely want everyone to get out there we always talk about what we're backing i i I don't know if we've all backed it yet, but I, I think the plan is <laughs> we'll have yep, three backers yep. here mm -hmm. uh, before the Kickstarter's <laughs> up. Um, where else can can people find you? Uh, website, conventions, um, Spectrum, maybe, this yeah. year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm doing, in a couple weeks, like I said, the uh, Magic Grand Prix Seattle and uh, just found out the other day that I'm going to be going to the Grand Prix in Chiba, Japan in July. Mm -hmm. Cool. And also, and also the Nagoya uh, GP in Japan in October. Um, 
And Gen Con, of course. I'm going to be at Gen Con, and that's going to be a, a blast, as always. And they think it's going to sell out again, so people need to buy their badges. It certainly early. is. It's on pace, and I'm going to put a suspenseful pause here. But there's some big news potentially at, at Gen Con this year about uh, some feature artists. <laughs> and uh, I, I believe I, I may have been informed that Elena Danner is one of three featured artists at Gen Con 2018. Can you, yep. can you confirm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's supposed to happen. That's awesome. That's super cool. <laughs> It's really crazy. Yeah, that uh, no, that's wonderful. Um, any and, and then so you do the Magic GPs Gen Con. I think last year you did was a Geek Girl Con in Seattle as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of these co- the conventions that happen later in the year they haven't opened up their registration yet. So I, I hope to do Geek Girl Con um, later in the year. I'm doing. Game Hole Con, just the worst name for a convention. <laughs> but it's a it's a great con in yeah. Madison, Wisconsin. So it near is. near and dear to us and your it's your hometown, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the worst name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see. Maybe we can get those guys to change their yeah. name for Game Hole yeah. Six. We'll see. <laughs> um, and then you have your portfolio online, correct? If people want to see what what you've all done, what's out there, and that's uh, Elena.net, I believe. Yep. You're correct. It's A-L-A-Y-N-A dot net. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate your time, um, and we're going to get this episode out before we all hit the road for Adepticon um, with some, some time still left on your kickstarter so everyone get on kickstarter check out edge of darkness and all the wonderful art that elena did and elena thank you very much for uh taking some time to to join us today oh thank you guys this is awesome All right, we're back after that uh, interview, that discussion. I hate I, I hate calling in interview. It was like a fireside <laughs> chat. Uh, with there was with a Elena. fire. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you see the fire we had going in the background? No, I put in that Netflix Yule Yule log oh, video. There you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're back. Uh, just wanted to wrap up real quick with some uh, some quick news and event updates. We've talked a lot about Adepticon. Um, here in a week or so, we'll be on the road to Schaumburg, Illinois, uh, to partake in Adepticon. Is it Adepticon 16? 16, I believe, yep. Um, at the Renaissance um, Hotel Convention Center in Schaumburg, right by the, the big mall there in Ikea, where you can stop and get some Detloft uh, yeah, Detloft cases, cases yeah, on, your, on your some, trip home uh, for your painted armies. Or whatever your board game shelves. Yeah. That's what I have in the basement. <laughs> so Adepticon, March 22nd to the 25th. Um, right on the heels of that, the uh, guys from Milwaukee local Age of Sigmar Gaming Club is hosting the Brew City Brawl, an Age of Sigmar two-day five-round tournament um, at the Crown Plaza Hotel. We are at 42 players, sold out. Um, certainly, though, look for it on Facebook. Wait list, there's always a chance that somebody drops or you know that there's a, there's an opening at the as it gets closer. Um Right after that, Nexus Game Fair, Thursday, May 31st through Sunday, June 3rd at the Clarion Hotel in Milwaukee by the airport. We will be there. I, d- I don't know if we're going to run some events, but for sure we'll have some stuff in the auction and, and check out <laughs> playing some games uh, in the open gaming space. Um, and then, obviously, the first week of August, Gen Con 51 uh, in Indianapolis. We'll be there in force. Um, I don't know if we'll have any events. Event like submission is almost over here. Um, I'm toying with an idea that maybe I'll talk about on the next episode, but for now um, we're looking forward to the convention season really kicking up. That's kind of what Adepticon signals is the start of it for us. And then we dive into the spring and summer of con season. Um, So as always though, thank you all for listening. We definitely um, enjoy seeing any, any feedback that you have on the website. Uh, a review on iTunes um, is always helpful. Reach out to us, reach us on Facebook. 
we've got the Play and Slayin' show um, on Facebook. We have at Play and Slayin' um, show on Twitter. The website, find us at basementofdeath.com. And any of our names, Ty, Josh, or Troy at basementofdeath.com for email. So thank you. Thank you to Elena Danner. That was a wonderful time. Um, good luck with the hobby progress, everyone. And hopefully we'll see you at Adopticon. So keep the dice rolling, the drinks on ice, and no matter what, keep playing and slaying. So that is always the question is there's always B-roll. Yeah. You shouldn't, if you have to ask about B-roll, then it isn't B-roll. All right. Does that make sense? Because <laughs> the best B-roll is B-roll. You should is, be recording is, is right now. Never, Why aren't a- you recording? ABR, a- always be recording. Always be recording. Always be recording. All right. Well, all right. Fair enough. Because the best B-roll is stuff that we don't realize. Is the best B-roll. B-roll is stuff that's like C-roll. And if you're C-rolling... You might as be D rolling, and by the time you get there, you're T rolling, which is trolling.